And good afternoon, everyone. This is Jennifer Stock. I'm your host for Ocean Currents. On this show, we dive into ocean topics, discussing research, conservation, exploration, and just about anything having to do with the blue part of this planet. This show is the first Monday of each month and is part of the West Marin Matters series. Every Monday at 1 o'clock, you can hear a program relating to the environmental or economic issues we face locally and globally. Today on Ocean Currents, we will be discussing what I consider to be one of the most important issues facing the long-term health of this planet and the ocean itself. Without consideration of this issue, the future of our planet could be in dire shape. We are talking about ocean literacy. So here's the big question. If over 70% of our planet is in ocean, why is it barely, if at all, touched on in K-12 education? So today on the show, I'm pleased to welcome Ms. Rita Bell, the Education Program Manager with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, a leading institution in the U.S. for ocean conservation education, and Ms. Megan Marrero, Curriculum Director with U.S. Satellite Laboratory based out of Rye, New York, who develops teaching resources that bring ocean literacy into the classroom using the standards. So welcome, Rita and Megan. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. I've got a bi-coastal show here, so I'm one in California and one in New York, and there's oceans on both sides. <laughs> so welcome again. So Rita, um, you have been directly involved in this ocean literacy movement for the last few years. Can you give us a more thorough explanation of what ocean literacy is? Well, we think of ocean literacy as kind of the the total amount of information and knowledge that the average person should have in order to make good decisions about ocean health. Um, it would uh, an ocean literate person is aware of how the ocean impacts his or her life and how she or he impacts the health of the oceans. Excellent, Megan. Do you want to add to that at all? No, I think that's great, and I think that one thing. The one thing I would add is that maybe people don't realize how many issues are related to the ocean and that there are so many reasons for citizens to be ocean literate and to understand this influence on them and their influence on the ocean as well. And I think as we move forward, you know, just in our country alone, we're going to see a lot more of these issues. We're talking a lot about offshore drilling, for example. And people who have this ocean literacy are able to respond to those types of issues because they understand them better. That's great. We're going to get to a little bit to the public and the influence of media later on. But uh, Rita or Megan, what concepts should a high school graduate understand about the ocean in order to be considered ocean literate? This is one of the big topics that's been sorted through in the last few years and a lot of movements moving forward. So what concepts would you say are the most important a high school graduate should, should understand? Well, um, Jennifer, a whole bunch of scientists and educators have been working on this project for a long time, and um, they've come up with what they call seven essential principles and then a bunch of fundamental concepts related to each of those principles that kids should know by the time they graduate from high school. And one of those principles deals with the fact that the Earth has is actually has only one ocean that's completely interconnected. And that within those that ocean, there are a lot of different features along the bottom of the ocean that um, you know have have an impact on how the water moves. Uh, a second principle is the idea that the ocean and life in the ocean shape the features of the earth, so that um, not only does the movement of the ocean water uh, cause coastal erosion and things like that, but that the living things, the organisms in the ocean, actually have an impact on the structure of the earth. Um, the, another third uh, essential principle focuses on the impact of the ocean and weather and also our climate, which is really important now that we're, we're thinking more about global climate change. Um, the fourth uh, essential principle focuses on the fact that the oceans actually make the Earth habitable. Uh, most of the oxygen in our atmosphere comes from the ocean, from the the plankton that uh, float on the surface of the ocean. And so without the ocean, all of us who are inhabiting the surface of the earth wouldn't be here. 
Then the fifth principle focuses on the fact that there's just a phenomenal diversity of life in in the ocean, all sorts of animals, many different sizes and shapes and configurations that we never see on the Earth, and there are just many, many of them in the ocean. Probably the most important from my perspective is principle number six, which focuses on the fact that the oceans and humans are inextricably interconnected, that what we do has in our daily lives has an impact on the ocean and and that what happens out in the middle of the ocean directly or indirectly has an impact on us. And then the seventh final uh, essential principle is that the ocean is largely unexplored. There are a lot of things that we just don't know about the ocean. Uh, We've explored more of the surface of the moon in relationship than we have of, of our oceans. And so at this point, we're making a lot of decisions based upon just having a small piece of information about what's really going on in our oceans. Do you think the public, the voting public, understand these concepts right now? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think so. And uh, we have uh, documentation that demonstrates that they don't. Um, back in the uh, 2003 and 2004, there were a couple of national commissions that um, did a lot of interviews and talked to a lot of people and conducted some surveys. And in fact, one um, in both of those, the Pew Ocean Report and uh, the Joint Oceans Commission, both said that uh, we need to do more educating and better educating about the ocean in our elementary schools and our high schools because the general public just doesn't understand what's going on out there. How about teachers? Um, Both of you work with teachers, and with the teachers that you interact with, do you feel that when they come into a workshop or an experience you're working with that they're they're somewhat ocean literate? Or Let's hear from both of you on that. Well, speaking from the teachers that we work with at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, most everybody that comes to our workshops has a great interest in in the oceans, and uh, they're they're very curious and they're very excited to learn more about the oceans. They're probably of all the teachers that are out there, the ones that have the best background because they've had that personal interest and they've sort of pursued that on their own. How about you, Megan? My experience is it depends. Um, In some cases, some of the workshops, like Rita, we have workshops that are more marine science focused, and that will draw out educators who have more of an interest in marine science, and they're looking for ways to bring marine science into the classroom. But in other programs that we run, we have an earth system science program, for example. And part of that, of course, is the ocean, and we have infused a number of the ocean literacy principles in there. Um, A lot of those teachers don't have that same background. And studies are showing that a lot of teachers, science teachers, wouldn't, don't have the background necessary to teach marine science. And if there were certifications for marine science that less than, you know, there would be like less than 1% of teachers would actually be able to be certified, science teachers, I think, would actually be able to be certified in this area. So I think there's definitely a need for teacher training in the ocean sciences. How about with our audience in the middle states? We're talking about uh, the ocean literacy concept about the ocean and humans be, being inextricably con- interconnected. And how about those interstates? And do we have a good assessment of education in the middle states that may not feel the connection to the ocean that the coastal states do? Uh, um, Jennifer, I think that we we have sort of anecdotal information from a lot of those teachers and a lot of the, you know, taking a look at the uh, the science content that is delivered in, in those central states, and the, and they feel sort of far away from the ocean. And uh, possibly if they do uh, watershed studies or they take a look at how the, their rivers, the rivers that through, flow through their communities connect with the oceans, they may be able to see those connections. But for the most part, it's kind of the old out-of-sight, out-of-mind kind of perspective. Megan, I know you've done some training with some interior state schools. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I agree that I think that the teachers that do come to us are 
they've reported that their students are actually very excited and intrigued to learn about the ocean because it does seem like such a faraway place, but that it is sort of far away and out of sight, out of mind, as Rita said. But one thing, for example, I had a, a group of teachers last week in my workshop from Montana, and they were thrilled to bring in a program that used, like, our one program uses technology to connect students to the ocean and where they can follow animals that are out in the ocean, for example, and to really give them a reason to start to look at it and then bring them closer to home, bring in ideas like, well, the ocean provides our oxygen and the ocean is providing our rainwater and that kind of thing. So we have to give them reasons like those that Rita just went over that are outlined in the essential principles to connect to the ocean and to bring it to the classroom and to make it concrete to students. I think that Michelle's totally right on that. What what we have found is that the ocean and ocean habitats and ocean animals are a really fantastic uh, context by which students and teachers can learn a lot of different sciences that they need to learn anyway. They're physical science and, and chemistry and life science and earth science. And by providing them with the ocean as sort of a hook, it's because it's very interesting and it's it's sort of foreign and, you know, it, it's sort of unusual, then the kids and the teachers have something that they are really interested in learning about. Absolutely. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock, and we're talking about ocean literacy. I have Rita Bell from the Monterey Bay Aquarium and Miss Megan Marrero from U.S. Satellite uh, in, uh, Laboratory in New York. Based on that that idea that the ocean is exciting and it's this this hook and this great way to bring students into science, with the history of the creation of the science standards, why do you think ocean-related topics were minimized and basically ignored? I think it just had to do with who was invited to um, sit in on those initial planning sessions. And uh, the, the structure of science education in the United States, especially at the K-12 level, has almost always been divided into um, biology and chemistry and physics and earth science. And, um, you know, so those were the the big four, and those were the you know the representatives that were invited to the table originally to have that discussion, and um, and and there was nobody there that was uh, championing the ocean. So I would agree. I yeah. think that also that um, that marine science was always lumped together, not always, but often lumped together with environmental science, which is also never brought to the table and is also inherently interdisciplinary. And so I think those two areas have sort of been pushed aside, whereas they could instead be all-encompassing, and that's definitely a problem. I had read in some of the research I've done that the environmental sciences and oceanography weren't considered rigorous enough to be included in these standards. Have you heard that similar fact? I think especially environmental science wasn't considered, you know, as rigorous. I think a lot of people kind of lump environmental science with, you know, somebody who is uh, eco-friendly and, you know, they think of it more of a, as a lifestyle rather than a, a scientific um, a scientific field of study. And um, I think for a long time people just didn't know or realize how much actual science was going on in terms of uh, oceans and the ocean ocean research. And so um, I don't know if people considered it, you know, less rigorous um, or if they just didn't even know about it. Well, it seems like it certainly has changed. And when did educators realize that this was a big problem for ocean conservation and decided to start working on this issue at the scale that it's being worked on right now? Well, the big push came, I would say, probably about five or six years ago, but all along, um, for the past 30 years at least, and, and I'm, I'm sure before that time, people who taught about marine science and ocean science and ocean issues would get together and they would sort of decry the fact that, you know, there just isn't very much education about the ocean that's going on in the school system. And it has was kind of in combination with the push from the those two commission reports that I mentioned earlier, and um, maybe just getting to a critical mass of people who were a little bit 
upset about things, that this big push happened um, about five years ago where a bunch of teachers and a bunch of informal educators and, and scientists and researchers said, you know, what we need to do is we need to get uh, science edu- um, marine science education and ocean science education into the standards so that it can become part of what it is that kids need to learn K-12. And so dealing with the states, I mean, each state has a different board of education. So what's the thought of how is this going to transfer into each state? Well, our, our approach was knowing that, you know, that each of the different states has their own standards, um, that even though they're so different, a vast majority of their science standards were based on the national science education standards. And so the first thing that we did was to take a look at the national science education standards and see if there were areas within those standards where we could use the ocean or ocean themes to teach that concept. So, for example, density. Density is one of those topics that almost everybody everybody teaches in every single state. And so we were we were saying that uh, you could use the ocean and currents in the ocean to teach density and provide a context for it that would make it more meaningful to kids. So we we kind of went through that exercise, taking a look at what were the main concepts that were supposed to be taught according to the National Science Education Standards. And then what are some of the ocean concepts or ocean themes or ocean ideas that can be used to teach that? So that was the first step. And then at the same time, we were also talking with a bunch of scientists and other educators and generating among ourselves this very long list of things that we thought were essential, that what were the ideas and concepts that people had to know in order to be ocean literate. So we generated that long list, and then we took a look at that and related it to the National Science Education Standards and looked for the overlap. So that was our very first step. And we figured if we could identify those, um, then those school states that were in the process of taking a look at their science standards might be able to say, oh, here is a great ocean theme that we can integrate into our science state standards and then um, possibly uh, replace that. And that way we would get more ocean science incorporated in the standards at the state level. Now, Megan, as a former science teacher yourself and someone who has a marine science background in your education, Did you see a disconnect in your school in regards to the lack of ocean content? Because basically what Rita was just describing is what I I believe you have taken on as a mission in regards to your education with teachers and teaching science concepts. Yeah. I mean, the first day that I showed up to be a teacher in New York City, they said, congratulations, you're teaching earth science. I was like, okay, great. That's not what I'm certified in, but okay. (laughs) And I was excited because I have a pretty strong background in in ocean science, and, you know, that's a big part of the Earth, so I was ready to go. And then I was told by another Earth science teacher that, oh, no, 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 we we cut out the oceanography part of the the state science curriculum. And I said, "Um, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) And basically my experience did not change, and that had been an optional part of the curriculum, and then as they had revised the New York State curriculum, that optional oceanography piece sort of you know, went by the wayside. And so I sort of did exactly what Rita was describing in that I brought in other, you know, the ocean into other concepts. So, for example, teaching photosynthesis instead of teaching just plants, you can teach phytoplankton in the ocean and you can talk about how, you know, marine food chains instead of land-based food chains, for example. And then eventually I ended up starting my own marine science course and program at my school, but I don't think that that's necessarily the way to go. I think the way to go is to try to show teachers that they can meet their regular standards in their regular courses that kids are tested on using the ocean. So if this is, and you, you're coming with someone, someone who cares about the ocean, you're passionate about it, but probably a lot of folks may not have that same drive. So is there a plan for when we get these essential concepts and units um, approved in the states to help bring up the knowledge level amongst teachers across the United States? 
I think definitely. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we've we've talked about, those of us who have been in this kind of ocean literacy movement for the last few years, is realizing that it has to be a, a kind of a, a multi-phase approach. You know, our our first step is to get people aware of the fact that there's some really good science out there that you can teach through the context of the ocean. Then we're trying to get the ocean concepts integrated into the standard so that they become a natural part of the science program. And we know, though, that there's got to be a lot of professional development made available for teachers so that they they can become comfortable with the topics and that they can have some good resources to use with their students. And so everybody realizes that that is an important next step. Um, And luckily for us, there really is a great network of uh, professional development providers for ocean science and ocean ocean concepts um, already established. And uh, we have the National Science Foundation has funded a a bunch of what we're calling COSI programs, which is... um, you know, uh, Centers for Ocean Science and Education Excellence, and those are uh, collaborative projects that include universities and informal institutions and school systems that are designing some of those professional development programs for teachers. Yeah, it's an exciting part, uh, exciting to be a part of that. The network is growing and expanding. It's wonderful. Can you both just briefly talk about some of the programs that you do to try to increase ocean literacy and bring oceans into classrooms um, at your respective workplaces? Megan, let's let's start with you. Sure. Um, We have a few different programs in which we've infused ocean literacy. Um, One of them is called Signals of Spring ACES, and that one is funded by NOAA. And it was funded under an environmental literacy grant to um, improve ocean literacy by students are tracking, this is the one where they're tracking marine animals live and online. So they might follow a polar bear, for example, or follow a harbor seal or a sea turtle. And they're using earth imagery to explain the animal's movements. So they'll look at phytoplankton or bathymetry or um, sea surface and try to find out why these animals are going where they're going and try to use some of that earth data to explain it. And what we find is that students become very attached to the animal and that's, you know, kind of the hook that we're using to get them learning about it. But in order to really understand and analyze this data, they really have to know a lot of standards-based information. So they have to know things like density and currents and phytoplankton and how that fits into the marine food web and a little bit about seafloor and the seafloor features and how they're formed, for example, and and climate. And so that's, um, that's one program that's really ocean literacy focused. Um, We have a couple of other programs that we do. One is called Project 3D View, and that one is funded by NASA. And that's for students in grades five and six, and it's an earth system science program. And students are, they wear 3D glasses and they use 3D visualizations like animations and 3D maps and other and pictures and other images to learn about each of Earth's spheres, one of which, of course, is the hydrosphere, which is mostly ocean. And there's also this Earth systems part where they really see how the different spheres are interacting. So they'll see, for example, you know, coastal erosion and how humans are speeding up that process. Um, and they'll see climate change and how you know, the ocean and the atmosphere and the land and everything is contributing to climate change. And then our third major program right now is um, is Sprint and Project Sprint, and that's funded by the National Science Foundation. And that one is all about climate change. And so, of course, there's inherently a lot of ocean um, work in that as well. And we have you know students looking at buoy data and sea ice data and ocean animals and and seeing how they these things might be affected by changes in the climate. So those are all our curriculum programs. We also do professional development for teachers on all of our programs, but we also do standalone courses. And one of the courses that we offer is called Lessons from the Ocean. And that course is basically all about what we were just talking about in terms of using the ocean as a context for teaching science standards. And so it's primarily for middle and high school educators, although we've had teachers who teach as low as preschool and um, for students of all ability levels. And it's all about how to use the ocean in your classroom. And we've had really great feedback from that. Teachers are very interested in trying to pull the ocean in and seeing ways that 
that you can make things more relevant to their students. So it's been very promising. It sounds great. Wonderful programs. How about you, Rita, with the Monterey Bay Aquarium? I know a lot of your programs um, rotate year to year of what's what's um, needed and desired by teachers in your community. Right, right. We do um, we do have a, a really nice set of uh, teacher professional development programs. Um, you know, in addition to smaller workshops, we do these week long teacher institutes that um, that um, actually we continue through the school year with the with the classroom teachers and. Um, they're grade level specific. One of them is called our Splash Zone Teacher Institute, and it's designed for preschool through second grade teachers. And it introduces them to the um, rocky shores that are not too terribly far from us here at the aquarium. And then it also helps the teachers learn how to use their own schoolyard as a, a field site to take the little kids out and do exploration and data gathering. Um, and they you know, they look at the animals that they find, the insects and the the sow bugs and the snails that they find in their schoolyard, and they um, collect data and use that data to do long-term observations of their schoolyard. So they're actually doing some inquiry-based science as well. Um, we have another uh, institute that we've been doing for the last few years for high school teachers called Dynamic Cycles. And it focuses on the biogeochemical cycles that are happening in the watershed, I mean, the wa- the wetlands area that's not terribly far from here. In fact, our sister institution, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, has a number of um, data gathering buoys that are anchored in the Elkhorn Slough where we take the teachers and they can then use that data that's posted on the Embari website when they take when they go back to school with their students so they can monitor things like oxygen level and and water temperature and um, you know chlorophyll levels and also you know tide level and all of those other things and try and show what happens when there's a rain event or an um, agricultural uh, waters you know water comes runs off of the agricultural field and what kind of impact that has on the entire uh, wetlands ecosystem. So those are a couple of uh, of really neat teacher programs, and probably the one of the neatest neatest activities that we do is for middle school girls. It's called our Young Women in Science program, and uh, we focus on little um, girls who are going into sixth, seventh, or eighth grade. Um, we uh, run the program bilingually in English and Spanish, uh, and really do a lot to try and recruit a high level of Spanish, high number of Spanish-speaking girls. And the kids learn about sea otters and what are some of the issues that are affecting the sea otter population here in Central California, and how it is that they, what they can do back in their in, in their homes and in their communities to to help the sea otters. And one of the things that we have them do is uh, do storm drain stenciling so that people realize that whatever goes down those storm drains winds up going out into the bay and having an impact on the health of the animals that are living out there. So that's a really cool activity that we're real proud of. In addition to, of course, working in an institution that is you know, the whole theme is ocean literacy and it's yeah. so wonderful. <laughs> ah. That's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, gonna, we're coming up on the half hour here. We're going to take a short break. So, uh, folks just tuning in, we've been talking about ocean literacy. This is Ocean Currents, and my name is Jennifer Stock. We're talking with Rita Bell from the Monterey Bay Aquarium and Megan Moreo from U.S. Satellite Lab. Please stay with us. Megan and Rita, please stay on the line. We'll be back in just a few minutes. I wanted to go back to a little bit of, of some of the research you've done. Megan, you are working on your Doctor of Education right now, and your topic is focusing on ocean literacy, which is well needed in this field. Can you tell us a little bit about your biggest take-home message about the research you're, you've done and, and what you're writing about? Sure. Um, one of the most exciting things that I've found is that students get really excited about the ocean, and, and once they get that connection, they're really eager to share it. And they will actually go home and 
talk to their parents about it, and they can actually influence their family. And, like, for example, we've had students come in and tell us, well, now we're eating organic because then the fertilizers don't go down the watershed and affect the ocean. I mean, for them to put all of those steps together is pretty impressive, and, and we're pretty happy with what they're doing. So that's one thing. And I think, for me, that was the most exciting finding is that they – are impressionable and that they're taking the message and they're they're spreading it they're paying it forward i guess is the best way to explain it and rita have you been seeing any results from some of the programs you've been doing i know you do a lot of evaluation um what type of what types of results have you seen from some of the programs you've been doing at the aquarium well well we have in and uh, i think in addition to or just sort of you know, to, to reinforce what Megan said, is that we do find that the experience the kids have here at the aquarium when they're visiting or in any of our programs, they do go home and they make uh, make sure that they share that information with their families and their parents. And, and there are a lot of behavior changes that they implement simply because they've gotten excited about something that they learned here at the aquarium. So that's that's exciting. Um, we found that um, one of the things that the uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium really is trying to do is to inspire the inspire conservation of the ocean. So we're trying to get people excited about the oceans and and knowledgeable and to get them to move to do something positive for the ocean. So um, through our education programs, we see that the kids are are as we said going home and they're. Um, uh, they're they're changing behaviors at home. We find that teachers are establishing programs at school so that their kids can recycle and they can um, uh, learn how to do things so that they can have reduce their their overall um, eco footprint. Um, and they've they've made quite an impact. So we've been quite pleased with that. That's great. Is there a difference in the sense of urgency in regards to? Who needs to be educated about the ocean in regards to the general public versus the K through 12 generation? Do you have any thoughts on that? Either of you? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a tough one. I mean, I think both are very important. I mean, working with students is great because they're very impressionable (laughs) and they grab onto things really quickly, I think. But let's face it right now that they're, they're not the decision makers. So I think they're both. You know, they are for our future, but I think it's equally important to get to folks that are voters and decision makers now. That's true. There are a lot of policymakers out there who who really need an extra boost of education in order to make good decisions and, um, you know, draft good policies and and vote the right way on, on certain initiatives that are coming up for legislation. So that's that's a group that really um, we're trying to reach. You know, just like the kids go home and have an impact on their families, um, you know, families get excited about things as well and can go home and have a have an impact on their kids. And we know for a fact that a lot of times um, ideas need to be reinforced multiple times before they, you know, finally become part of somebody's way of life. And so if a a family member or a, a young person hears a fairly consistent message from um, from the aquarium when they visit and from their family when they come home and from their teachers at school, there's a, a better likelihood that, that that behavior will become internalized and that they'll, you know, they'll act in ways that will be um, in more environmentally sensitive. So it's sort of like you know, you can't, uh, you really can't turn your back on any audience at all. You need need to address them all. Right. It's a big, big area. I was just um, looking at this booklet, the uh, National Marine Sanctuary Foundation, with many, many collaborators, put on a conference on ocean literacy in Washington, D.C. in 2007. And it sounds like there was a lot of um, working groups that were with members of Congress. And to have this issue brought to that level was very encouraging to me to see all these different organizations working at the, that level to make it more of an issue in, in the national eye. So that was very exciting to see. I think it has yep. been a bigger issue, too, because now um, agencies like NOAA and NSF are providing a lot of funding toward this issue. So I think that's very encouraging as well. How do you see, how do you see the media playing a role in this issue overall? It seems like the media is one of the biggest ways that people learn about what's going on in the world. That's true. And, um, 
you know, if they if they get good stories and, you know, exciting things that are happening and they can share that with a broader audience, it's going to really make our um, the educator's job a whole lot easier. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I found in through some of my research that um, students report that one of the major ways that they learn about the ocean is through television. And that's really interesting because they cited examples like, you know, Animal Planet and PBS and great, um, great examples that they could watch wonderful documentaries and things, but they also cited the news. And in the literature, there's definitely some concern that sometimes they're not always getting truthful information. So I think we have to be careful that it is a great way to spread the word and to share really exciting changes and information, but we also have to be a little bit wary. And I think it encouraged teachers to elicit from students what kinds of things they've learned and to try to make sure that they're not coming away with misconceptions or things that might be a little bit slanted in one direction or another. Mm-hmm. Well, as an employee of NOAA myself, it's easy to say our agency is heavily involved in working on providing resources to educators, but it seems that there is a major disconnect at each state and school district level with the standards movement and the accountability necess- the accountability testing. What do you, do you, as both educators in the field, recommend for agencies like NOAA or the National Park Service or um, the EPA or National Science Foundation to do in respect to the state boards of education on this issue? It seems like we're really good at making all these resources, but what I'm seeing is this this larger level of the accountability at the state level. And I'm just curious what you would recommend on that. Well, I know the um, ocean literacy movement is is looking to identify when different uh, state science standards are coming up for revision. And the idea is to um, actually lobby those state departments of education to integrate more ocean content into the standards. And so certainly the ocean literacy group, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good representation from NOAA and from other agencies on the ocean literacy, um, you know, initiative, but um, that help and that level of expertise that um, you folks in the in the sort of government world have would be would be much appreciated and beneficial. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Megan, how how do you how are you feeling about that? I agree. I think it's really important to continue to communicate with state boards of ed who are making the standards and who are revising them, and more importantly, the assessments that go with them. Because if things are not on the test, then they're not getting taught. And mm-hmm. that's unfortunately the culture as a result of No Child Left Behind and other federal initiatives. So that's something that I think the Ocean Literacy Group and others should continue to work on is lobbying um, state representatives and, and those who are making the standards. What do you both see as some of the major challenges ahead for strengthening ocean literacy and, and bringing it into schools? I think one of the one of the problems that we face here in California, especially in schools where there's a large um, English language learner um, population, is that the kids aren't getting any science education, let alone ocean science education. And so we've, you know, the 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 pendulum has sort of swung so that we're really working hard to make sure that the kids learn how to speak English and their that their language arts skills and their math skills improve, but because there are only so many hours in the day, something has to give as a result. And and one of the things that has given has been time during the school day for science instruction and social studies instruction and art and music and PE and all of those other sorts of subjects. So one thing that we have to try and do is figure out how, how can we get um, expose kids to these these other sorts of areas of the curriculum. And uh, I think one of the things that I've seen happen uh, and that a number of informal institutions are doing is trying to work with after-school programs to uh, provide curriculum and activities that would be could be used in an after-school setting that would be maybe not quite as academic, but it would still have a lot of the good solid content and um, the basic ideas and the basic concepts that kids should learn about ocean science or or science in general. Yeah, I think that in the in the formal ed sense, one of the major challenges is that 
teachers aren't really prepared to teach not only marine science, but science. So just as Rita was saying, um, you know, if science doesn't get taught, particularly at the elementary school level, because there is so much to teach, and if science is being taught, well, the teachers don't have the background probably in marine science um, in order to do so. So I think more teacher training is needed through, you know, by informal institutions, by professional development groups like myself. So I think that, um, you know, that there, that's a way to start as well, is to make teachers feel comfortable using the ocean as a context to teach science. That's great. How, if someone asked you what the most important concept to understand about the ocean was, what would you say? We'll start with you, Rita. <laughs> I think I would say that... Um, I think the most important thing for people to realize is that what they do personally, no matter whether they live on the coastline or in the middle of the continent, has an impact on the health of the oceans, just like the the ocean itself has a has an impact on their own health. Yeah, I have to go with your earlier comment, Rita, that uh, principle number six, which is that the ocean and humans are inextricably interconnected. I think that's just so important. I think people don't realize this. And whenever I have to talk to someone about my dissertation topic, I start <laughs> talking about all of that, and they're like, oh, really? Yeah. Oxygen and right. rain and all of that good stuff. So I think that there's just so much that people don't necessarily know, probably because we weren't taught it in school, and keep going back from there. And I think that's to me, the most important concept is the interconnection. That's great. I would agree with you as well. Um, are there any uh, events coming up that are related to ocean literacy that the public can participate in? Well, nice that you mentioned that. <laughs> it <laughs> happens to be this week. It happens to be <laughs> that um, one of the, you know, after after the ocean literacy group generated this list of essential principles and fundamental concepts, um, the group of us got together and said, okay, well, this is what is great for the person who's graduating from 12th grade to know, but how do you introduce those concepts and at what grade level do you introduce them and what makes sense in terms of the sequence? And so uh, we've been working for the last couple of years to develop what are called conceptual flow maps, which outline the how you might introduce a topic and what would be the first thing that you would teach and then what would be, you know, kind of the following ideas and, and how could you build over a series of, you know, experiences from kindergarten or first grade through 12th grade so that by the time the kids do graduate from high school, they have a good solid understanding of each of these principles. And um, we are at a point right now where those conceptual flow maps are being put out for public comment. And in fact, on beginning on Wednesday, over the next, for, for two weeks beginning on Wednesday, there um, are, is going to be an online forum. And we would love to have members of the public, members of the um, education field, ocean scientists, non-ocean scientists, um, log in and actually give some feedback on the concepts on the organizational strategy, let us know whether or not they think that those concepts are developmentally appropriate for that grade level, and whether the whole sequence flows in a, in a logical pattern. So I have a website. Sure, if people would, would like to log on, and it's www.oceanliteracy.net. And ocean literacy is all one word. That's great. So www.oceanliteracy.net. Right. And you just basically get a login and you can start commenting as you exactly. read them. That sounds fantastic. Right. It's fantastic. And um, we have seven different um, seven different principles, and each principle has four different grade levels. So there are 28 different uh, conceptual flow maps that people can provide feedback on. And um, we were, we're really looking to get as much information from the public as possible. We want, we want this to be a really open uh, opportunity for people. We want to make sure that we're representing the best thought and the best science and, you know, the best, uh, the best ideas in terms of what is uh, developmentally appropriate in terms of education. Thank you so much. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. 
Megan, how about the website? You're talking about the tracking animals. Um, can you give us that website? Because that's a public website. People can log on yes. and see what's going on. Uh, the website is www.signalsofspring.net slash aces. And there's a lot of great information about some of the different animals that we track. Uh, the maps are open to the public, so you can see where some of the animals. We have walruses and polar bears and sea turtles and all sorts of marine mammals. So there's there's a lot of fun stuff to see on there. And for teachers, um, there is also information about how to register for teacher trainings, um, which at this point are federally funded. So that means they're free for teachers. So if you uh, know anyone that might want to be, uh, take part in these kind of workshops, they can definitely pass it on and take a look. Wonderful. Well, I want to just thank you very much, both Rita and Megan, for sitting with us today and talking about this topic. And uh, you're both at the forefront of, of making some change here. So congratulations on that. And thanks again for your time today. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Jennifer. It was great. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And please do stay with us in just a few moments. I will be coming back. We have a couple announcements to wrap up Ocean Currents with today. We were just talking with Rita Bell from the Monterey Bay Aquarium and Megan Marrero from U.S. Satellite Lab, a curriculum company. And we were discussing ocean literacy and getting the public and our K-12 audiences more aware about how the ocean is an influence on us and we are an influence on the ocean. So please stay with, with us. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. We've been talking about ocean literacy, and I have a couple of resources for you if you would like to become more ocean literate or learn a little bit more of what's happening locally. Uh, the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary has put up a special part on their website about a recent research cruise. You can go to cordellbank.noaa.gov and learn about a recent cruise where we were testing methods to remove derelict fishing gear on Cordell Bank. And there's some neat videos and pictures of how we use a remotely operated vehicle underwater to cut the gear and all the cool invertebrates and some sharks swimming around. So please do check that out if you'd like to find out what's happening locally. Also, in November, November 20th, we have a lecture coming up with the Point Reyes National Seashore and the Point Reyes National Seashore Association, as well as the Cordell Bank Sanctuary. They've put on a ocean lecture series to bring different uh, speakers to talk about different topics relating to our ocean environment here. And this one will be pretty exciting. On November 20th at 7 to 9 p.m. at the Red Barn Classroom, um, urchin diver uh, out at the Farallon Islands, Ron Elliott, who has taken up also video, uh, taking video footage out at the Farallons while diving, will be talking, as well as Scott Anderson, a local shark researcher, are going to be talking about their white shark experiences at the Farallon Islands and, and maybe even near shore of Point Reyes as well. Um, Ron has helped produce a couple videos about his time diving out at the islands, and uh, this will be a really unique opportunity to hear from these local folks and see these videos. This event is free. It's November 20th, coming up in a few weeks at the Red Barn Classroom at Point Reyes National Seashore at 7 o'clock, so come on down for that. And last but not least, I wanted to just give you some of the highlights from the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary field trips we had. We have a field seminar that we run with the Point Reyes National Seashore Association. And October 12th and October 19th, we braved the, the big swell and, and wind and, and made it all the way out to Cordell Bank and back with two boatloads of excited participants and it's amazing what you can see. If you can make it out there, you never know. It could be absolutely nothing. You might see a whole a whole bunch, but we certainly did. On October 12th, we had lots of humpback whales and, and sea lions diving with those humpback whales. Um, we saw lots of albatrosses and pink-footed shearwaters and bullers shearwaters uh, flying around. And then we had uh, what we call a megapod of dolphins with us, and they were with us for a long time. 
And I have some sounds to share with you from that. One of our naturalists, Carol Kuiper, was with us, and she has a hydrophone that she sticks in the water to hear all the sounds, and we recorded some of that to share with you, so I'll end with that today. And then on October 19th, we had another trip, and almost as one of those days where things are just not around, but um, lo and behold, when we were way out west, just north of the Cordell Sanctuary around the Bodega Canyon area, we had two blue whales um, spending some time near us, including seeing their beautiful flukes come out of the water, which was just outstanding. And then while we're sitting there, four orcas were sighted as well. Four orca whales were moving just further north of us. We didn't get a very close look, but they were certainly orca whales, and it was just amazing seeing all of this all at once within 20 minutes. So it was really exciting days out on the water at Cordell Bank. So locally here, we have an incredible amount of amazing marine resources. We have a role to share that with our students and with our our families and and our public to become more aware of of, uh, the ocean and the impact we have on it. So hopefully you'll you'll share some of the things you're hearing on ocean currents or what you're learning about with your friends and family to bring the ocean to the forefront in our conversations about the environment. I'm going to leave you today with some wonderful dolphin sounds that were collected by Carol Kuiper on her hydrophone. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the dolphins. You're listening to Pacific White-Sided Dolphins out at Cordell Bank on October 12th.